Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Almost There Lazy, a 90-day fiancé podcast. I will be your host, Allison. Okay, everybody, let's get down to it. Uh, We are in the middle of a global pandemic. It's June 2020 as I sit here and record right now. And one of my favorite outlets right now is to listen to podcasts about my favorite trash TV. And now is as best of a time as any to record my own podcast about my favorite pile of trash, 90 Day Fiance. So my journey starts probably about four years ago. Who really knows? Time is an illusion at this point, as Jesse Meester would say. Um, I On one Saturday, out of the blue, randomly, I stumbled upon 90 Day Fiance. And before I knew it, it was Sunday night and I had powered through the first three seasons. I went through all of the highs and lows. I was emotional when Lauren and Lexi finally got married. I was cringing and frantically Googling when Nikki ended up with Mark and had to, you know, drive a brand new red sports car that completely matched the red sports car that he had given to his first wife. And this was uh, at a time, like, not to be a hipster, but before 90 Day Fiancé really took off. All we had really was the main show, and since then, uh, there are several spinoffs. There have been multiple couples who have just really milked this uh, cow as much as they can. Chrissy Teigen tweets about it. It's really become a cultural phenomenon, Um, and so here we are today. So right now, TLC is really, you know, they're going for it. They are going to be airing simultaneously on Sundays, the newest season, season five of 90 Day Fiance, Happily Ever After, question mark. And on Monday, they will be um, playing the newest season two of 90 Day Fiance, The Other Way. So just like as a little personal note, um, I've never been a fiance. Nobody has bought me an engagement ring or has bought my father a dowry cow. I've never been given an appreciation ring. So at this point, you know, I don't have any resentful teen daughters, but I would consider myself a Darcy. You know, I'm looking for my Prince Charming, but I'm not going to put up with shit. I'm going to wear my glittery boss barrette and, you know, wait for my happily ever after question mark. Uh, I also don't have a twin sister who looks creepily like me, but uh, Darcy, I love you wherever you are. Okay, so this episode will be a recap of uh, episode one of season five of Happily Ever After, question mark. And in this season, who we have are Paul and Karini back again. We have um, Colt and Larissa back again. Angela and Michael. We also have uh, Libby and Andre. Libby seems to want to be called Elizabeth now. I'm just going to keep calling her Libby, guys. Sorry. Um we have Kalani and Asuelo, as well as Tanya and Sinjin. So let's start this off. Let's get this over with. Let's get Colt and Larissa out of the way. I mean, they're just so overexposed at this point in the 90-day world. They've really kind of taken over for Pow and Russ, who the people have finally been heard, and we have had enough of them for now, you know. But we're still here with Colty, Debbie, and Larissa, um, you know, as you can tell from all the spinoffs and even just the fact that they're airing these two seasons simultaneously when who, you know, there's probably a shortage of footage because of COVID-19. Who knows when we're going to get fresh new footage again that's not filmed by 
David Toborowski with his hand cam. But, you know, TLC just does not know when to stop with all of these people. Okay, so let's get started with Colt and Larissa. Um, as a short recap, like, let's just go over where we are with them right now as this premieres. At this point, Colt is 34 and Larissa is 31. Uh, I'm sorry, she's 33 now. They met online three years ago. So, you know, at least there's not a weird, creepy age gap. They are age appropriate for each other. All of that is, you know, we don't have to worry about that this time, at least. Um, so they met online and after five days, uh, once they met in person, Colt proposed to Larissa. And then we first met them when she came to the U.S. on her K-1 engagement visa for the 90 days in the, uh, the regular permutation of this series. Colt is 34 years old. He lives, I don't know, in Las Vegas. They're suburbs of Las Vegas with his widowed mother, Debbie. They are extremely close. Uh, and he works as a software engineer. And it seems, uh, as far as we can tell, he's probably the primary breadwinner there, you know, that kind of situation, which is not so weird. I don't have any problem with someone supporting their older parent if they can work and their parent, you know, is older the way Debbie is. But, you know, as we have seen before, Colt and Debbie are abnormally close, not in like a Bates Motel way, but, you know, she's extremely involved in Colty's life. So four days before their scheduled wedding, Larissa got arrested for a domestic incident. But uh, after, you know, she got bailed out of jail, all of that, they got married anyway. Um, surprise, surprise. It was still not a fairy tale ending for the two of them. They continued to uh, spar with Debbie, who didn't appreciate the way that she was being treated in her own household. Larissa famously said, who is against the queen shall die. So that just puts you where we were with them. While they were married as well, Larissa started on her journey of getting a fuck ton of cosmetic work done by American doctors to turn her into the uh, woman she is today. And finally, as the cameras rolled, Colt chugged some uh, Jack Daniels straight out of the bottle, kind of uh, reminiscent of Tanya's mother, as we'll probably see later this season. And he told Larissa he wanted to divorce her. So uh, as we start filming now, the divorce has been finalized. Okay, so their story starts out with Colt and he's uh, in Mother Debbie's garage and he's lifting some weights that look like, you know, he brushed off the dust off the top of them before he stepped out there today. He claims he's building Colt 2.0 and, you know, I'm not going to knock anybody for exercising. I'm not going to body shame on this podcast. But it's obvious that Colt is just like putting on a show for the cameras because Colt, as we will talk about further on, he just like likes to be humiliated. Right. And he likes to be part of the joke to a certain extent, which is probably why TLC keeps calling him up and putting a camera in front of his face. He knows what it looks like as him as a nerd lifting these weights in Mother Debbie's garage. Right. Um, okay. So then Debbie comes out and they start their inorganic chat and they're talking about how today would have been Colt and Larissa's first anniversary or something close to it. Uh, Debbie is super happy to have her house back to normal. You know what? She doesn't have to share her cats with anybody who doesn't appreciate them. Debbie can hang out with her slot machine all she wants. 
Uh, Colt, on the other hand, recalls how while they were filming the tell-all for the last season that they were on, he started to catch some feelings again when Larissa was over Skype with them. Which makes sense. I mean, who would ever forget their first internet fiancé and meeting them for the first time over Facebook? And, you know, he told her so during the tell-all, but Larissa had moved on to an American guy named Eric. And so now, because she loves somebody else, Colt, the typical gaslighter and nice guy, tells us that any love he ever had for Larissa is dead now. So here we are with Colt lifting these weights and among these storage boxes, which kind of look like a scene out of Hoarders, but who knows? Who knows what they're storing in those boxes? I actually don't want to know, okay? And Colt tells his mother, Mother Debbie, that he would love to start dating again. Debbie kind of laughs. She doesn't feel that her Colty is ready for this yet. You know, he still has to heal his broken heart from uh, his marriage to the queen, Larissa. And, you know, he probably has better things to focus on, like buying some more American Girl doll clothes for those kitty cats, right? Colt then gets a ping on his cell phone. This is an episode full of uh, ominous cell phone pings. He looks kind of coquettishly at Mother Debbie and goes back into the house. And then evidence number two of Colt loving to be humiliated. We get a completely nauseating and completely unnecessary shot of Colt in the shower. Uh, it's all steamed up that glass door and we get to see him from um, about the uh, floater ribs up. And then we get to see his tootsies stepping onto that bath mat. Ugh. TLC, why do you do this to me? I don't watch Dr. Pimple Popper for a reason. I don't need to see Colty taking a shower, okay? And as it was kind of implied in the garage, Colt is up to something. It turns out that he has met a new woman. She is 26 years old, um, beautiful. We see a picture of her. Her name is Jess. She has red hair. Uh, Colt really likes that she has glasses. And she lives in Chicago. Colt went out there once before and met her. And he is about to go see her again. However, she's Brazilian. So there is our main conflict with Colt. He is going to be dating another Brazilian woman. What could go wrong? Next scene, we get to find out what Larissa is up to. So the TLC cameras... Larissa does have a good sense of humor about her. I don't think she would hate this. Our first shot of Larissa for this season is a close zoom on a sign that says urinals. Larissa is dressed in um, a long sleeve jumpsuit. Uh, she's wearing a mask, which, you know, back in 2019, not just everybody was wearing a mask and she's cleaning some toilets. Um, she's walking around kind of comically standing 20 feet away from bathroom stalls going, oh, I hate everything with poopy, kind of spraying it into the air instead of actually cleaning it. And it turns out that Larissa is just finishing up her community service hours for one of the three domestic violence arrests she had when she was with Colty. Good for her. She is finishing up those hours. She's trying to, I think her plot is that she wants to turn over a new leaf and earn a green card in the U.S. on her own terms. She tells us she's now been in the U.S. for one and a half years, but she's still afraid of being deported. 
So, like I said, she has been arrested three times for domestic violence against Colty, um, but she has not yet been charged. However, her case is still open and she still has to appear in court. And she is hoping that um, she can get everything downgraded to a disorderly conduct charge so that she, it doesn't affect her immigration status and everything she's trying to do with her immigration. So she's trying to do all the right things. She's finishing up her community service hours, doing all of that. You know, it doesn't make up for being a domestic abuser, but, you know, she is working hard. She's not just sitting on her hands doing nothing. Um, yeah. So at this point, I have to say, like, Larissa does look pretty good. She's kind of teetering on a Barbie doll look status. She has lost a lot of weight. She's gotten a decent amount of plastic surgery down that she, you know, openly goes through the list of it. She's gotten some new lippies. She's gotten her nose. She's gotten new butty. Um, and she's she looks good. I mean, she looks older than 33, but she looks pretty and she's happy with herself. Something else I noticed is in her talking heads, her confessionals, whatever you want to call them, they have her sitting in like a short dress with her legs propped up and she just looks so uncomfortable. And I know Anfisa has said when people asked, why do you have to sit like that? Like the producers make them sit like that when they do their talking heads. And I don't know why, because Larissa especially, I don't know how tall she is, but there's just something about her demeanor I'm like, can this poor woman just, like, sit there like a normal human being? Like, I don't know what TLC is getting at. Like, you never made Kate Gosselin do that when she was sitting with John on their misery couch in the basement. So why do they keep persisting in this with 90 Day Fiance? I don't know. So then we get a shot. Uh, sorry, we get a scene with Larissa in the pool with two American friends, which I don't know where she met these women, but... They, like I said, they're American and I have a feeling that they like hired them off of Craigslist or something just so Larissa would have somebody to talk off of, which is something that was very common in the first seasons of Teen Mom before they broke the fourth wall where they would just have some random there to ask leading questions about the person's life so that like we would get some momentum on the story without having to acknowledge the fact that this is a reality TV show. Larissa tells these two women while they're drinking champagne that she and Eric, the American guy she dated after Colty, have broken up. Um, she was unhappy with the lack of intimacy in their relationship. If you want to be sickened some more, she had the opposite experience with Colt. I'm just going to warn all of you, while we're watching these Colt and Larissa scenes this season, don't be eating. If you're going to drink, you know, wait for Angela. It's just like one disgusting comment after the next. Okay. But anyway, like Larissa recognizes that when she's in a relationship, she wants to feel like the guy is physically attracted to her and she thrives on hearing compliments about her appearance and hearing that validation that he wants to be with her. And Colt laid it on thick with her, apparently, and Eric did not. So, you know, now she's on the prowl for a new guy. And these two American women tell her that she's hot enough to find a sugar daddy. And her one friend, Danielle Staub Jr., has been engaged 13 times. So to her, it's easy. 
I mean, keep in mind, this woman has to be probably about 30 years old, like 13 times. So assuming she didn't have any high school engagements, we're talking like 18 to 30. That's 12 years divided by 13. I kind of want more details, but it's also like I don't really give a shit. I just I'm kind of fascinated about those 13 engagements. Did you get a ring every time? Were there any repeat customers? Uh, Let me know the details. Larissa also tells us more about her immigration status. And as it turns out, Colt has canceled the affidavit of support as part of her green card, which um, I should have done research for this. Sorry, I didn't. I'm guessing that's a financial promise that you will support this person with their green card application. So we saw that with Molly and Luis. Uh, it's promising that you'll support them if they cannot support themselves in the U.S. Um, so Colt has canceled that, which I can't recall that ever being used as a strategy before with these breakups. But anyway, so that sucks. She needs to find another way to stay in the U.S. because ideally Larissa wants to bring her son and her daughter to the U.S. with her. Um, part of her storyline, which I think was exposed with fans online before it was ever acknowledged on this show, is that Larissa has a son and a daughter back in Brazil. Her son lives with her ex-partner. I don't know if they were married or not. And her daughter lives with her parents. So, um, it does make sense. It's like, I don't know a lot about her, fi- well, we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes, but... Larissa's whole point is that she can make a lot more money here than she could in Brazil and she feels she could provide a better life for her children in the U.S. and wants them to come here. I'll have to do for the next time. I'll do more research on the affidavit of support, but that's a big point of contention for her right now. So then we get to it's Thanksgiving and Larissa has moved in with her friend Carmen, who is also Brazilian. Like I said, Larissa is 33, I think, at this point, and she calls Carmen her mother figure, which, like, Carmen at best is 43, so it's, like, it's, like, kind of shady, but whatever. It's working for her. She has somewhere to stay, and she has, like, a Brazilian friend to support her as she's going through all of this in the U.S. So this kitchen that they're making Thanksgiving dinner in is basically just, like, a breeding ground for FBI's foodborne illnesses. They are just, you know, washing this turkey willy-nilly in the sink. Larissa's pulling random organs out of this raw turkey and slapping them down on the counter saying, what is this? Um, she finally bastes the turkey with her hands, like, uncovered. Like, she just covers this turkey in what looks like fucking, like, Dijon mustard. I'm not a big fan of raw meat. But just everything about this seems wrong. It is their first Thanksgiving. However, Larissa herself says, is it like cooking a chicken? So you should know how to handle raw meat at this point, Larissa. Okay, so with Carmen, she talks like a little bit more. She's still going on about her immigration status. She's really worried about starting having to start over again in Brazil And she expands on what she was going on about with Danielle Staub Jr. down by the pool. And she explains that she's going to apply again for a green card. But she's worried about her criminal record with the three domestic violence arrests and how that might impact her application with the United States government. Back at Colty and Debbie's house, we naturally get a shot of a kitty in a kitty cat condo. 
and Kitty's giving like mad side eye, which I have to say, like on the last season of Before the 90 Days, the producers have gotten really good at choosing these shots where the camera people just like got these cats throwing side eye to their like psychotic owners. Like David is the cutest cat and he's a maniac in a full length leather coat. Uh, it's just really funny, but uh, yeah. So anyway, Colt Colty is packing his uh, red suitcase. He has his little travel pillow out and he's going to Chicago to see Jess, the Brazilian woman who just happened to meet him online. So he plays this whole game with Debbie where she's like, where are you going? And I, I called him coquettish before. And he just does this with her again. Like, well, I'm going to Chicago to see some friends. You wouldn't know them. And this is a 34-year-old man. This is just like, he just loves the cameras. He loves his game. But, you know, Debbie doesn't really give a shit. She's probably happy to get rid of him, air the place out for a weekend. She's like, all right, I don't really care. Go play your games. I'm going to sit here and wait for my TLC paycheck to come in the mail. Colt gets on a plane to Chicago and he goes to a bar to meet up with Jess. Uh, I don't know anything about Chicago. I, I think I've gone through O'Hare Airport once. I've never been in Chicago proper. Who knows when I can ever travel again. But this bar that he shows up to, like, looks a lot like any suburban bar that you would go to. Like, every guy there is in, like, a backwards baseball hat and jeans from Kohl's. And then Jess shows up and she is wearing glittery red heels and a lacy black romper. Now, she's a really pretty girl. She's 26 years old. Like, she is an A-plus when Colty is maybe a D. So, you know, she looks good, but it, she's just so overdressed for this. Like, she looks like maybe she's going to a teen club or something or, you know, something like that. She's not going to go meet up with this F-list TLC celebrity who's just gotten divorced from his K-1 visa fiancé. So then we learn a little bit more about Jess. Um, she has been working as an au pair in Chicago for the past year, which means she's on a J-1 visa. And I did look this up a little bit. Um, a J-1 visa basically is for an international person who's coming to the U.S. for a temporary employment op opportunity. So we have like camp counselors, au pairs, like that's in that kind of category. And I know being over in the U.S. as an au pair has like its very own set of specific rules about how many hours that you are allowed to work, which protects both the au pair from, you know, being over overworked by the family. And it also prevent, you know, all of that. Um, and you could be here for one year and you could also extend it by six months or a year after that. And um, you have to be like a certain age bracket to be an au pair, all of that. So anyway, so Jess has been here a full year and she has six months left on her J-1 visa. So like, let's think about this. Like according to Cole, she just like, Colt, sorry. She randomly reached out for him, to him over the internet. She has six months left on her visa. And you would like have to think that a young Brazilian woman living in the U.S., like, they have some understanding or, like, some kind of Facebook group, like, subreddit where they're talking about Larissa and, like, the whole 90 Day Fiancé thing. Because Brazil is, like, super represented on 90 Day Fiancé, like, through multiple people. So you're telling me that, like, she just randomly found this 34-year-old computer programmer who lives with his mommy. 
you know, she knows what she's doing. She doesn't want to go back to Brazil. And she's looking to turn that J1 into a K1. Maybe. Or however. She's looking to marry an American. And to that, I give her the same advice that Larissa's friend gave her by the pool, Danielle Staub II, which is like, find a sugar daddy because you're pretty. Like, you don't have to settle for Colty and his cats. You know, on the other hand, she really likes cats. As we see in this scene with Colt, she really likes his pretty eyes and his kitty cats. And she has a cat tattooed on her left shoulder. So, you know, they're talking, they're having a few drinks. Um, He talks to her about his divorce as if she hasn't already studied this and Googled cult and knows every single detail as if she hasn't watched every episode of 90 Day Fiance he's been on over and over to figure him out. Uh, And then cult invites her to go back to his hotel, quote unquote, to probably have sex. Poor Jess's reaction is to start drinking as quickly as possible, which is very telling. And her final words in this particular scene are, he's my boyfriend now. I love you. It's good for me. So then Larissa, we're back to Larissa back in Las Vegas, and she's in a coffee shop talking to her father back in Brazil over FaceTime, no headphones on, in the middle of the coffee shop as people eat and drink around her, which like the worst thing ever I work from home even before COVID-19 the worst thing is men because it's always men who take business calls in the middle of a coffee shop when other people are working that being said you can tell because nobody in this scene has their face blurred out everyone has signed a waiver and they're just like pretending to talk so I can't I can't hate on her for this but anyway Larissa explains to her father that she needs five thousand dollars in order to proceed with her own green card application she feels bad asking but she's like hey if my dad will give me the money i may as well ask (laughs) which kind of wild but anyway it doesn't seem like a weird request because her father doesn't seem like taken aback by this and he's like okay i can send you half of that now and i'll send half later does that sound good so there's that which like kind of also makes me wonder because i did agree with her point that she could make more money and have a better life overall in the U.S. but it sounds like her father at least is pretty well off so you know and anyway she promises that once she could start working again which she would need the green card to be working she will start to pay him back which probably just means like once she gets her TLC check for this newest season she can help pay her father back that five thousand dollars because I mean hopefully they're at least making that All right, then to wrap this up, we have this disgusting Uber ride with Colt and Jess back to his hotel to quote unquote again, probably have sex. And so yeah, they're in the back of this Uber. The poor driver probably has like a window cracked trying to breathe some fresh air to not fucking vomit all over her shirt because they're like kissing up on each other in the back seat. He has his like hand on her knee like a 16 year old boy. It's just a lot. Um, As you know, he's trying to get the romance going as they're going back to his hotel. Naturally, Colt starts talking about his mother, Debbie. And he explains why he hasn't talked to his mother about Jess yet. About how his mother uh, wouldn't be too pleased to see Colty with another Brazilian woman. That, you know, this is the finally 
an actual valid point. He wants to keep his mother out of his business this time. So, yeah, they pull up to the hotel, still romantically talking about Debbie. And that is where we leave Colt and Larissa for this week. All right, let's move on to Kalani and Asuelo. As we pick up their story now, Kalani is 31 years old and Asuelo is 24. I think they met about three years ago. So Kalani, her father is from Samoa and I'm not sure if her mother is. I have, I, I kind of remember that she wasn't, but anyway. So Kalani went to Samoa for two weeks, I think more or less by herself. Like she was staying in a resort and she met Asuelo. Uh, according to Kalani, she was a virgin when she met Asuelo, but after 28 years, she decided this is the one and she lost her virginity to Asuelo. And the next thing she knew, she was pregnant. So she came back from that vacation and after she gave birth to her first son, Oliver, uh, Asuelo showed up on his K-1 visa as her fiance. They met up in uh, LAX because last season they were like staying in some Airbnb situation out in California. And he famously performed some traditional Samoan dance for her barefoot at baggage at LAX. Ugh, disgusting. So in their first season of 90 Day Fiance, he clashed a lot with her father. Kalani's dad is like the scariest. He's like so tough like he's like a kind of typical Samoan guy that you would picture he has like a long braided beard he's like really big and like very self-assured and so he clashed a lot with Asuelo because he didn't want to see his daughter with like a typical quote-unquote Samoan guy as he was saying Asuelo also clashed a lot with her sister Kalini who just wanted you know her sister to be with uh, quote-unquote worthwhile guy, all of that. All right, so that was like their story last time. Just last time when she went on her trip to Samoa, the next thing she knew, again, she was pregnant again. So they got married, Asuelo cried, and now we are at a point when she has two kids under two. <laughs> she has a two-year-old boy named Oliver and a six-month-old boy named Kennedy. We see Asuelo, who he's just like, Oswello is like a giant little child and like the icing on the cake is he is giving out samples of frozen yogurt at some kind of shop. Um, they now live in Washington, Utah, which I looked up. It's very close to St. George. It's in Southern Utah. St. George has a pretty popular marathon every year when it's, you know, good times and we're not afraid to be running in packs of people. It's also not that far from Zion National Park, which is a place I was lucky enough to visit last year and I hope to visit again. Um, so yeah, they're back in Utah and I don't know, I looked up briefly like religion and in Samoa and there is like a significant Mormon population. So I'm not sure if Kalini, sorry, Kalani, Kalini is her sister. I'm not sure if their family is Mormon or they just happen to live in Utah. I don't know the story there, but anyway. So that's where they are now. They're no longer in Southern California. So Oswello is like being his adorable self, trying to uh, hand off these Froyo samples. Like this one lady walks up and is like, I'm sorry, I'm so full. I just had lunch. And he's like, yeah, but this could be your dessert. And it's like, who could say no to Oswello and these little paper sample sample cups of Froyo, you know? 
So, yeah. Then Kalini, uh, sorry, Kalani pulls up and she's just like as beautiful as ever. She has that long, gorgeous hair. She's just so pretty. Like she looks exactly the same as last season. Um, so she comes to pick up her husband, I guess, from work. And she has the two kids in the back seat. They pull up to their house and Oswillo hops out of the car, goes into the house and closes the door while Kalini gets the kids out of the car. Every, every couple this season has like some kind of plot line. Theirs is that Oswillo is a giant kid who's not doing enough to help these two babies. However, the good news that we find out as she's entering the house is that her mother, Lisa, and her father have moved in to help them. Um, so we get into the house and her parents greet her, actually help her with the kids while Oswello shuffles down into the basement. We find out that Oswello, as the scene would imply, he's not pulling his weight with the children. He likes to play video games immediately after work or go play volleyball. And so Kalani is not only looking for help with her children, she's also seeking out more one-on-one -on -one time with her husband so that they can have like adult time where she's not cleaning up after babies and just like, you know, with her parents and all of that. Oswello, you know, how he loves to talk about how things are in Samoa compared to the U.S., claims that life is not hard for a mother in Samoa. All they have to do is take care of the baby and take care of the house. Not hard at all. So then we get to a scene of Kalini cooking with her mother. Now, like I said, her father is like the most intimidating, like tough guy character, but her mother is like not far behind. So Kal uh, Kalani is trying to chop celery like a normal human being with the celery on the cutting board and her holding her knife properly and her mom just fucking takes this piece of celery and holds it over the sink and hacks at it as if her her knife is a machete <laughs> which is interesting so then we cut to her father in the backyard and he is there's no other way to say this and he's raking up apples okay um there's like a bunch of green apples on the grass and he's just casually raking them up which not only because there's no COVID talk, I think this was all filmed last fall. I think that's when apples fall. At least they, that's how, that's when they fall out here. And Oswello comes out into the backyard. Now, like part of Oswello's thing is he does understand English and he does speak English, but he still has a significant language barrier. So he, um, you know, he has trouble communicating in English as fully as he would want to with his own wife. Um, which I'm not sure if uh, Kalani speaks Samoan at all. We don't we don't see it on the show. Um, from what I see with a lot of these couples, I think even when the partner, the English speaking partner does speak the other language, TLC prefers for everybody to be speaking English rather than using translation. However, like you can see Oswello does struggle when he's speaking English, which is like very common with um, adults who are using a second language. However, uh, Kalani's father uh, can speak Samoan, so they start talking to each other about the situation. Her terrifying father, like, he kind of, like, it's as if his dialogue is written by a villain in a show like Sons of Anarchy or something. Like, he kind of speaks in vague threats and, like, philosophical statements. So he orders um, Asuelo to pick up a shovel to help him with these apples he's raking off the lawn. <laughs> and... 
Um, they start talking about how Kalani is feeling the situation and he wants Asuelo to find a better job because he handing out frozen yogurt samples is a job that's great for a teenage boy, but not for a father of two, a husband, you know. And he says to Asuelo, don't you want your kids to have a better life than their father did? Like I said, I don't know anything. I don't know about life in Samoa, but I would think there is far more opportunity in the United States just by, like, location alone. Like, Samoa is isolated in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There must be so much more opportunity out here for anybody than in Samoa. Then we end with them this episode, like I said, with the uh, pants-peeing threat from Kalani's father. If I get concerned, you're going to have a problem. Okay, now we get to our third couple of the night. We have Libby and Andre, who are living in Tampa, Florida. Libby is the American in this situation. She is 29 years old, and Andre is 33, I think. Um, and the way they met is that Libby was going on a trip to Ireland, and Andre is from Moldova, but he was working in Ireland at the time, probably on some kind of EU kind of visa, and Libby thought ahead to her personal trip. Like, I think she was traveling by herself and she like set up some Tinder matches beforehand and found Andre. Um, so tale as old as time on this show. They met while she was in Ireland, fell in love. And then he came over to the U.S. on his K-1 visa. So, yeah, Libby's family is a lot. They're very camera aware. They love drama. She has like, I don't know how many sisters, but... They all love to throw shade at Andre, her dad. I mean, to her dad's credit, he's like some kind of property owner. Libby works as a property manager for the different locations he owns. It seems like he has a lot of money and he provides them with a lot of opportunity to get money. But like her whole family and like their past seasons has just been like so unnecessarily shady to Andre. Um, the thing they love to do is to frame him as like this chauvinist who wants women to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, which I don't think is like really fair or accurate. Part of Andre's thing is he's Eastern European and like, I think he's funny. Like he has a sense of humor and like, but it's a very like Eastern, like dry humor, like very sarcastic humor. And I think that like her family likes to play on that to make him look like a bigger villain than he is. Does he say sexist shit that drives me crazy sometimes? Like absolutely. But he's not nearly the villain that even like editing for commercials makes him out to be. Okay. So they got married in their first season of 90 day fiance. Uh, and within six months, uh, Libby was pregnant. So to go back on what I was like hinting on, like they don't really work. Especially now, like, Libby is employed uh, by the grace of her own father. Andre was working, but he's, like, not at this point, which we'll get into. Because they don't really break the fourth wall on the show, I think at this point, Andre is like, TLC is going to come in and hand us a check for just, like, living our lives on TV. Like, why am I going to lift a finger? But they can't say that. They don't even say that on, like, Teen Mom, where they have broken the fourth wall. But I think it is a thing for them. So anyway... She had her, their baby, Eleanor, and the only time that Andre's family has visited was when Eleanor was born. His father was able to come over and be there for the birth, which is, like, really nice. And at that time, Andre promised that 
they would have a second wedding with his family in Moldova at some future point. So uh, in this new episode, we cut to Andre and he's like doing his typical like macho thing. He's handling all these tools and using a drill and looks like he's mounting a TV. So he's asking the advice of whoever's in there with the room with him. And we pan over and it's like 16 month old Eleanor who's laying on the bed. And she's just like so cute. Like she's so smiley. She has that like fuzzy little baby hair. And uh, he tells us, he updates us a little bit. Uh, Libby is back working for her father and Andre is working as a stay at home dad right now. And so now they are getting ready because it's Libby's dad's birthday. Uh, they're going to have a birthday. They're about to go to a birthday party at her father's house. Uh, Libby gets dressed up in like a tight purple skirt and a sheer black top. She's like going full glitz on the makeup, which like, I don't know. Like for my dad's birthday, we like drink beers on the deck and grill food. So can't relate, but her family is so extra that I'm not surprised. And yeah. So they get into their big white truck, which looks brand new, and they head off to the party. It looks like they live in, like, a nice little neighborhood. And we cut over to the party where her family, as always, is, like, throwing shade about Andre and Libby, saying that they are late because they always run on Libby and Andre time. And, ugh, can't we eat already? They're always so late. So then they do arrive. And to be fair, like, they're like, oh, the baby's sleeping. That's why we were late. And also, like, they don't mention this, but Libby just spent, like, four fucking hours doing her makeup for her dad's birthday party. Like, cut her break, people. So they have all this buffet food out. Like, one of her, like, mean sisters is saying to Andre, like, maybe I would have offered you a plate if you had been on time. They're just so annoying. Finally, Andre, like, decides, okay, like, let's cut this tension. I'm going to toast to my father-in-law. And to be fair, like, Andre seems pretty drunk at this point. I think all of Libby's family likes to have their turtle time. Like, they all kind of seem a little bit wasted. And Andre invites them to their second wedding in Moldova, which he says is going to be in a month. So Libby is really mad. She goes like full, like Libby gets like very like high school drama class with everything. She just overblows this like in her talking head. She's like, of course we were planning our second wedding, but I wanted to actually have it planned before he announced it. And, you know, if she's doing that, her sisters have it turned up to an 11 because they're all freaking out that a month is not enough time. How dare you? Like, we all want to be there, blah, blah, blah. And um, Andre has the very, like, interesting line where he's like, a football field will not wait for the football players. The game will go on. So, like, the whole thing is his family wasn't able to be there for his first wedding. Only his father has met his baby. Like, I don't think Andre really gives a shit if Libby's family, who is always, like, coming down on him, is able to go to Moldova for his wedding, which, like, I think is fair. He also says it's going to be a hell of a party. Like, that kind of sounds like fun. Like, I don't think it has to be this big formal affair. I think he just, like, honestly wants to have his own friends and family, like, celebrate his his marriage and his baby. So, like, fuck those people. They could stay in Tampa, Florida for all he cares, right? But they're, you know, still all crying that, won't Andre please think of us? And, you know, and then they start, you know, they really show their, they, they pull out their... Trump cards 
<laughs> they pull out their uh, Republican Party cards and they turn it into, is Moldova even safe to visit? Which is just so rude. Like, Andre himself is like, why don't you fucking Google it? Like, it is safe. And, like, also, like, Moldova is, you know, by Ukraine, by Romania. They might not speak the language, whatever, but you would think, like, the safest way to visit a country like that is under these circumstances. It's, like, they're visiting it with somebody who is from there. They're going to be staying with his family and his friends who all know the language, who know where to show them around. It's just, like, such, so xenophobic. And also, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure this was all filmed last fall and it does seem very sudden, like come to Moldova next month. But now with coronavirus taking over everything, it's like, actually, that was probably the perfect time to have this second wedding. So um, the other part of it that Andre explains is that he wants their daughter Eleanor to be baptized in his church, which I looked it up. Like, I'm pretty sure that he's like very Eastern Orthodox. And in order for Eleanor to be baptized in the Eastern Orthodox Church, her parents have to also be married in that church. So if he wants to have this wedding in Moldova anyway, like he wants um, to do that there so that Eleanor could also be baptized with his family involved. Once again, like totally fair, totally reasonable. So then Libby and Andre leave the party and they're discussing it in the car. She's putting on her best, you know, honors drama for senior year performance once again about how she he didn't run this by her and she wants to plan better and she finally rightfully points out that they don't have any fucking money because they live off of her father's goodwill and this is like the only part where i'm not going to defend andre with this moldova wedding where he says well in my tradition the father of the bride pays for the wedding your dad paid for your sister's weddings. Like, he should be paying for this. Which I don't think is fair because it sounds like Andre just wants to get married in the church. Like, get that religious seal of approval. And, like, have some, like, fucking, like, drunken fest with all of his loved ones back home. So, I mean, it's probably manufactured by TLC because they love this drama between family Libby and Andre. But it's, like, pretty shitty. And that's where we leave them for this week. All right. Let's finally get to Miss Angela, which, you know, Angela's a mess. She's a lot. But after this past season of Before the 90 Days with baby girl Lisa, who also has a Nigerian fiance, quote unquote, I am really thrilled to be back with Angela. As a recap, Angela is 53 years old. She lives in Hazelhurst, Georgia, and she is engaged to Michael, who is 31 years old and lives in Lagos, Nigeria. Now, Angela, before she met Michael, she was just happy being a Meemaw. She thought that was her calling in life, taking all, care of all these kids. She takes care of her elderly mother. And then this uh, Yahoo boy dropped into her life. No, I'm sorry. Michael <laughs> Michael's not a Yahoo boy by his own his own uh, defense. But anyway, she met Michael online. So yeah, he's a lot younger than her, all of this. They've been on, I don't know how, I don't know, even know how many seasons at this point with their ups and downs. Um, she's visited Nigeria at least twice, all of this. And they're still not married either in Nigeria or the U.S. 
the last time she was in Nigeria, part of the conflict was that Michael's mother really wants him to have a baby and like let's talk about some biology Angela is 53 she has adult children who are in their 30s and it's just not happening anymore okay everybody (laughs) like let's just be honest with that um we also have a lot of trust issues with this couple as we all know, uh, Angela find, found out that Michael did the BJ with some woman he knows and he was driving her home. They're back and forth. But as we pick up again, Angela is determined to make this relationship work no matter what it takes. Um, so we open with Angela, who is appropriately in a lap dance class with her daughter, Skyla. Angela is wearing a maroon Muppet vest and I have to say like Angela looks pretty great for a 53 year old who looks like she's sat outside wearing baby oil and smoking cigarettes for the past 30 years like she's looking really good this season like last season when she was in Nigeria she had like all these marks on her chest from getting her decolletage lasered and like it actually looks like it did it did what it was supposed to like her a lot of those wrinkles have subsided like her makeup looks good and the thing about Angela is like she's just so damn confident like you can't really hate her too hard right so they do their like little magic mic lap dance class and then she's talking to her daughter Skyla and Angela is saying like I really want to go forward with the k1 visa however like where they're stuck is that they, the uh, embassy, I think in Nigeria, recommended a denial. And so if Michael can't come over on the K-1 visa, Angela would rather, I'm sorry, would alternatively want to try the spousal visa by getting married in Nigeria. So this also came up the last time she was in Nigeria, where she was all set to marry Michael. And she found out that like the Nigerian authorities, it would not be considered that valid of a marriage because nobody from Angela's side of the family came to Nigeria to witness the wedding with her. That for them to consider these um, weddings where they're going to eventually use the spousal visa, like you really need a witness to come with you to prove that you are committed and that this is legitimate, all of that. So she's talking to Skyla, who, by the way, is the daughter who's not in jail, (laughs) which I'm not going to get into now. Just Google it. As Andre would say, Google it. And she asks Skyla to accompany her to be her witness when she goes back to Nigeria to see Michael. Skyla is like, look, I wanted to get to know Michael better. I don't want to go to Nigeria. Okay. And so they do a little bit of back and forth. And finally, we leave it that Skyla will consider going back to Nigeria as long as Angela goes to a marriage lawyer, quote unquote, and like fully understands what it would mean to be married as an American citizen in Nigeria to a Nigerian citizen. Like, what are your legal rights? What does that require? Like, what would be asked of you if things went south? All of that. So then we see Angela in her element in the next scene, me mawing. She's brushing her daughter's hair. uh, Sorry, her granddaughter's hair. And then she gets a call from Michael. So she politely asks the three-year-old to give her some space so she could talk to Papa Michael. Um, So as it turns out, Angela has bought herself a new house, which good for her. Like she's using that TLC money for good uh, because like we have to acknowledge like Angela is a caregiver. Um, She mentions right here that she has six grandchildren. I don't think they all live with her, but she does like a significant amount of caregiving, like 
Some of them are in her custody from her uh, incarcerated daughter. And she also has her elderly, um, very sick mother living with her. And so she starts to give a tour of the house and like she shows Michael the master bedroom. He complains that he wants a bigger bed. And she's like, look, if you don't want to cuddle with me, you could stay in Nigeria, which like full agree, Angela, right? Um, So then all the six grandkids come home from school and she shows her poor mother laying there in the hospital bed. Like she like very quietly says like, hi, Michael. And I think I'm not sure I should have looked this up. I think her mother has passed by now, but this has been ever since we've known Angela on this show, she's been taking care of her very sick mother. Then Angela moves the camera into the backyard and she starts showing Michael her beautiful backyard that has like a lot of open space and a lake when he gets like some call coming in with some special ringtone that sounds like a woman singing as he's like frantically pressing (laughs) pressing the buttons to silence it and Angela like just about loses her shit saying that the only reason that you have a special ringtone is to be for a special person so that you know that they're calling and you know whether or not to pick up those trust issues are just uh, brimming to the surface again and she hangs up on him the the camera people zoom in like very ominously on this like <laughs> random wooden chair that's propped against Angela's house and uh, she takes it out uh, puts it down she says oh I don't feel well I gotta sit my fat ass down So unlike baby Lisa, Angela loves a good bra. She pulls out her cigarettes and her lighter, lights one up, puts them back in in storage and tries to, you know, calm down from this, this ringtone situation with Michael. He calls her back and claims that it was just his brother's mechanic calling to look for his brother, question mark. And like Angela doesn't buy it. She tells him, Skyla and I are going to go to this marriage lawyer, whatever. I want to sit here and smoke my cigarette. Have a nice day. To which Michael says, capiche. And yeah, that wraps up this first episode of season five of Happily Ever After, 90 Day Fiance. And this also wraps up the first episode of Almost There, Lazy. I'm going to definitely continue with this season of Happily Ever After, question mark, whether or not I care enough to cover 90 Day the other way. We'll see. Anyway, yeah, I'll see you next time. You could follow uh, this podcast on Instagram at almost there lazy and I'll see you next time. Bye.